0: The following podcast is presented by Ensign Services Inc., a company engaged in the business of providing contracted for administrative and back office type support services to post acute healthcare clients. Ensign Services provides accounting, human resources, compliance, legal, risk management, information technology, training, construction support, and other such miscellaneous services to its clients. These contracted for services are available to be utilized at the sole discretion of its clients. References within the podcast to the company and its activities, as well as the use of the terms we, us, it's our and similar terms used during the discussion are not meant to imply that Ensign Services Inc. or the Ensign Group Inc. has any direct operational control, supervision, or direction of the independently operated post acute healthcare entities. Jared McDonald, right.
1: good to have you back.
0: Hey, have you recently built a ice bath or something in your your house? I have. What yes. do they call those? The polar plunge or something? Polar plunge,
1: ice bath. Or is it Just cryogenics?
0: Are you trying to like live forever, like Walt Disney? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Every day, every morning. At least that I'm in Utah. Well, Jared, you were with us on our podcast
0: for the four part podcast on Trust and Inspire. So happy to, to be back.
1: back. Yeah. So. Um, Today, I'm kind of excited. We're going to talk about this book, The Infinite Game uh, by Simon Sinek. And in the book, uh, Clay, he talks a lot about how even from the very beginning, from the day we are born, uh, we become players in this game. And in the book, he says, the only choice we get is if we want to play with an infinite mindset or a finite mindset. And yeah. I want to make sure at the very beginning, because the book talks about this a ton, the, the difference between yeah. a finite mindset and an infinite mindset. I want to first kind of talk about and have you maybe differentiate that for yeah, us. Yeah,
0: it's a good place to start. So so we'll kind of go through this slowly. Um, uh, the finite mindset, it's, it's focused on winning. Um, I win, you lose. Right. It's the scarcity mentality. One winner, one loser. And you, you can find books. I mean, I, I can't remember. I think Trump has a book out from a long time ago, like The Art of the Deal. And it's all about winning in the deal. Remember the famous uh, Charlie Sheen hashtag winning, yeah. you know, and he, I'm better than you. I'm doing better than you so you can mock me. And that's the finite mindset. They seek to be the best by beating their rivals. So that's that's finite. So put okay. that in a little compartment and we'll go back and forth. The infinite mindset focuses on sustaining the game. the The focus is on getting better, building something that outlasts them. So it's not about beating somebody. It's about creating something great. Now back, the finite mindset. It aims for stability because they don't like change and uncertainty. I mean, I think about that as a leader. I wanted stability. I just wanted things to not... You know, go crazy. It, they like the status quo, whereas the infinite mindset aims for resilience. So they they embrace unexpected challenges. They they you know they learn and they grow. It kind of goes to that question if you've heard me ask in a training: Do you want your people to make mistakes? Mm-hmm. And it yeah. creates this kind of firestorm of of debate. And the the infinite mindset sort of creates that safe space for mistakes because stability isn't the goal growth is. The finite mindset tends to create cultures where people look out for themselves because they don't trust anyone else with their well-being. You know, there's no cooperation. And, and because of that, they lack innovation. Now, contrast that with the infinite mindset. It creates cultures of unity and belonging, um, high trust, high cooperation. It's it's We'll get to this later, but the idea of caring over competition, like we love competitions in our clusters, yeah. but how do you enhance caring over competition? I, in, in preparing for the uh, annual meeting, I came across a quote by Plato. He says, "By caring about the happiness of others, you you find your own," and, and it's you know it's it's biblical. It's it's lose yourself, uh, which I guess technically is also M and M. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Lose yourself in the music, the moment you. Okay. We'll probably keep that in there. Okay. So ultimately, the finite mindset seeks to improve their own benefits at the expense of others, right? That's the winning. I win, you lose. It's the scarcity mentality. While the infinite mindset, you know is is really seeking how do i make others lives better it's the ubuntu philosophy and and a lot of what we're going to talk about at this annual meeting start looking to benefit others and that's basically it in a nutshell. I think we can wrap up the podcast now if you want. Thanks, everyone.
1: So I guess what I'm hearing really is in in this this finite mindset, we really have these clear objectives yeah. where we've got these clear rules. There's a beginning, a middle, an end. It's kind of like a basketball game where we've got the known players. I know what the rules are. I know what the objectives are clear. There's going to be a winner and a loser in the end. Yeah. It's really what a lot of life really is and, and how we typically spend. Tend to see life. It
0: is. It's. It's how we see the world, and, and when we see the world that way, everything becomes transactional. I mean, think about this: how you deal with a vendor, right? Is your goal to win? Is it to squeeze as much out of them? As you can, I, I bet a lot of leaders listening to this right now are thinking, "Yeah, I mean, I want the best price, I want the best deal." Do you? Well, want... We do that all the time with our vendors. That's Ex- exactly. What we do. But have you ever thought, "I want them to succeed. I need mm-hmm. them to benefit, so that so that we can be kind of a symbi- symbiotic relationship, right?" Um, I I think of you know, and I think of this idea of of relational versus transactional. I mean, how am I with my kids? Do I do I? Uh, give them an ice cream cone if, they're, if they behave? Am I paying them to get good grades? Am I, am I, are, are they doing it for the right reasons? Am I inspiring them or am I motivating them? Which you and I talked a lot about that in the Trust and Inspire podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Am I inspiring or am I, am I motivating them? Now, contrast all of this with the infinite game where, where there's both known and unknown players and there's no exact rules, which sounds a little bit chaotic. There's just conventions on how to conduct yourself. But there's no such thing as winning because the time horizons infinite there's there's no practical end of the game. uh do, do you win in your friendships? do you do you win in your marriage? did you did you come in first place? <laughs> what about in your education? Did you I mean we almost try and make that be everybody Well I'm I graduated tenth in my class. I graduated. You know, I, I tease my brother who graduated from Harvard MBA because like 80 percent of people graduate in the top 10 percent of their class, according to Harvard graduates. Uh, you know, you're, you're not crowned a winner of your education or your career. These are journeys. And we aren't trying to win in this organization. We just want to keep playing. I, I can tell you with an absolute clear conscience, we have never once in any leadership meeting I've ever been in talked about any one of our competitors and trying to beat them. It just they've never they've never come up. And what we discuss all the time is how do we make sure we bring dignity to this industry that has not
1: had it? That's the infinite mindset. So I like I mean, I like the sound of this. Okay. But I guess if I'm being honest. <laughs> There's Be so, many times, me, where, there's so many times where we have, like, having set rules and having a winner and a loser, having very clear objectives and knowing exactly, you know, where I'm trying to accomplish and, and what the end is. Yeah. It, to me, it sounds pretty effective in a lot of situations. I mean, it, yeah. it, it's really nice. But when not have reality? Clear objectives. Well, that, I guess that's what I'm trying to better understand. And no, I mean, yeah. if, if there isn't a winner and if there isn't a clear loser... Why then does it matter so much that we choose to have this infinite mindset? Because to me, having a winner and a loser makes the game easier. Yeah. It kind of makes it
0: more fun, too. I mean, isn't yeah. it, isn't it kind of lame when you when you go watch your kids play baseball? I, and they're yeah. like, oh, no, they're not going to keep I have keep no score desire to go and... to a
1: sporting event unless I see the winner and the loser. I yeah. mean, that's... Yeah. I, th-
0: I mean, you think about it this way, too. I remember an Olympian several years ago. I think she was a lugeist. I think I've probably referred to this, too, in the past before, but... But she was really helping one of her competitors from another country that was having some psychosocial issues, and she and they, they were asked why that that might lead to you lose. She said, "I want to be my best, and I do want to beat her, mm-hmm. but I don't want to beat her because she's struggling or failing. I want to beat the best her, and really, it's all about me getting better." So, so let me start with a quote from from Cynic. Uh, And it's from the book. He says the true value of an organization is measured by the desire others have to contribute to that organization's ability to keep succeeding. Not just during the time they are there, but well beyond their own tenure. While a finite minded leader works to get something from their employees, customers and shareholders in order to meet arbitrary metrics, the infinite minded leader works to ensure that their employees, customers and shareholders remain inspired to continue contributing with their effort, their wallets, and their investment. If I'm an infinite-minded leader, I'm not about getting these scores that are going to get me to win. It's sort of the John Wooden mentality. He never once talked about winning. He won more than any other coach, Mm -hmm. but he never once talked about winning. He talked about being their best selves and playing the infinite game. It kind of goes back to the, when I when I left Ensign the first time, I, I joined a leader that taught me something that really turns out to be wrong. But I was a young, stupid kid, and I thought, oh, okay. He said, business is all about an exit strategy. It's all about how you, you start it with the idea of how do I cash out of it? And he sort of misapplied Covey's teaching of you have to begin with the end in mind. That is the finite mindset. We're trying to build an organization that survives its founders and creates new founders. We're, we're, we aren't trying to create a product that, that people will buy. We're trying to create a product that will make the world better. Dignify long-term care, right? It's not about what's best for me. It's about what's best for us,
1: what's best for the world. We're not trying to beat anyone. We're trying to be our best selves. Okay, so the goal then, what I'm hearing is it isn't necessary to win, but it's to keep playing.
0: Yeah, I mean, it. if we really want to dignify long-term care, don't we want others to succeed too?
1: Yeah, So they we can help
0: dignify long-term really care? Really
1: continuing. On. I mean, I, I find it interesting, dignifying long-term care, there isn't an end to that either. It's, no. We can continue to improve upon that and exactly. keep moving. And I guess and we'll this concept to that of we get yeah. to keep playing yeah. and keep moving forward. And the, the motivation is really... In advancing the cause, advancing the mission, advancing what we're trying to move forward. That's the motivation. It's not to win, but it's to keep advancing that and moving forward. And um, really, if we're going to dignify the industry we serve in the eyes of the world, um, we have to keep moving that forward. Yeah. And we have to know that that there isn't an end to that. And as as you're talking, I keep thinking about... um, about being able to really define the why we exist, which I think it's closely tied to this concept of having a just cause. Yeah, he refers to it as a just cause. We tend to call it yeah. our why. Yeah. And in the book, he defines the just cause and he says, a specific vision of a future state that does not yet exist, a future state so appealing that people are willing to make sacrifices in order to help help advance towards that vision. And maybe this is obvious, but uh, why why do you feel like this vision or this just cause is so important to have? Yeah, I
0: you know and we've seen all sorts of these videos that we've played on the importance of why and and uh, Buster Douglas, how he defeated Mike Tyson and and the anyway think about it this way if the goal is winning, if the goal is to be the best, beating a competitor, then you're gonna win you're gonna you know we the, the Super Bowl was last night. Somebody won, they feel that thrill, and now it's done. Mm-hmm. And now now they just have the hunger to to win again, and you hopefully keep winning so that you can have that, that joy. Uh, you'll like your job some days, and some days uh, you won't, but you'll m- never really truly love your job if it's just about getting those high scores and then having to get those high scores again as opposed to working for a just cause but but think about how this is different if you're fighting for a just cause, a world that you hope to live in and that you're committed to building. When you have that on your team, when they are fighting for a just cause, they will now offer you their blood, sweat and tears. So so I love the example of the founding fathers, and he mentions this in the book. The just cause of our founding fathers was that all men are created equal. Mm-hmm the pursuit of life, liberty, and and the pursuit of happiness, right? Blood was shed over the next centuries fighting for that just cause and getting us all to that place where we believed in. Now, what if their just cause had been, um, we want to beat the British?
1: It was never that. I mean, that's interesting. (laughs) It was not just to beat the British. That wasn't the just cause.
0: I mean, they would have been like, all right, we did it. Let's have some beer (laughs) Yeah, and, uh, you know, some... T or whatever they threw in the, the harbor, right? <laughs> if you have the wrong just cause, if it is a finite just cause, which it really can't be, then they're not gonna give their blood, sweat, and tears. If if people are working for incentives, I Mark Parkinson asked me this question recently. He said, Do you think that incentives are the key to your organization? And I said, I think they're an important part of it, but they have to be a satisfier, not a driver. Mm-hmm. They can't be. They can't be what's driving us. They need to be what's satisfying yeah. us. But the driver has to be that just cause.
1: So, I I want to get a little bit clearer on the just cause because yeah. um, Cynic walks through some different um, steps or elements of the just cause and and how yeah, we go about creating rules. it. Yeah. Um. And the first rule that he talks about, he says that the just cause must be for something, right? Not against or opposing something. Yeah. And then the second piece he talks about, he says it, that it must be inclusive. So, pretty much, it has to be open to all who want to partake of it. Yeah. It has to include everyone. Anyone who wants to join. Or anyone that wants to join a feast. Yeah. The third piece, uh, he says that it must be service oriented, which is to mean that it's primarily there to benefit other people. Outward looking. Okay. Yeah. And then the fourth piece, uh, he said that it must be resilient. And I think it's interesting when you just talked about the founding fathers, how this it, it's something that really endures or it's something. That, We're still fighting for yeah. it,
0: right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We're getting closer.
1: Yeah. I mean, and and no matter what's going on politically, technologically, and even cultural, like whatever's changing, this cause endures. Yes. It has to endure. It has to be resilient. And then the final p- rule that he says, he says that it must be idealistic. Which he talks about how it's got to be big. It's got to be bold. It really has to be kind something. Kind of like you
0: were just saying, almost unachievable. It's,
1: yeah, something that we may never achieve. It has to be truly idealistic. Yeah. And so can can you walk through these rules for us a little bit? Yeah,
0: let's um, look. Basically, we as humans have a need to feel a part of something. We we want to feel We do want to stand out, but before we want to stand out, we want to feel like we're a part of a group. That's why the cluster model is so important. We want to belong to a positive cause. And and where he says it's got to be for something, we really shouldn't be fighting against poverty. We should be fighting for the ability of every human to provide for their family. It's a specific vision of a future state that is affirmative and inclusive. It's positive. It's not we're not fighting against homelessness.
1: We're fighting for right. Everybody for the opportunity. And I, I find it as you say that I'm thinking to myself, there is a different feeling. I mean, yes. I can fight against poverty or I can fight for um Everyone to be able to provide everyone, yeah. for themselves There's a and, and be I mean, sheltered. One and, has an ending almost. It feels like, okay, against poverty. Okay, once poverty is gone, it's done. Versus the other one, we want to provide that everyone has means to be able to provide for themselves. It it, it goes into that infinite side.
0: Yeah. And the second point, I just very briefly, the inclusivity. Like any, any organization that is not a part of our affiliation and they want to be a part of this, we should welcome that. Yeah and 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 that it's not about us winning and us looking better we are just obsessed with this cause and any organization that can help we they need to be a part of it and then and then the service oriented piece right the the primary benefit of the organization's contributions must always go to the people other than the contributors themselves right don't get me wrong we want to benefit but it can't ever be at the expense of the just cause Right. Too many people are obsessed with protecting their own self-interest, and and it's often at the expense of people who they're supposed to be serving, at the the customer or or the vendor or whoever mm-hmm. it may be. Right. And, and if I'm infinite minded, I want to advance something bigger than myself, which, by the way, will hopefully be successful and profitable. Because if it's not, it won't be. Successful. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to be able to continue on. No, no margin, no mission, according to Catholic charities. The results should benefit everyone, but not at the expense of anyone. Does that make sense?
1: yeah as you're as you're saying that i'm thinking of it's really this outward mindset approach of like we're we're being very aware of the other people that this is benefiting and the fact that they have needs interests and objectives as well that they're trying to meet and we're aware of that and we know that that and we care about we care about it we're not looking inward we're truly caring about it and Though still keeping in mind that we still have a mission, we still have something we're trying to accomplish, but we're very aware of of how it's influencing other people. So I like that. So what about um, these last rules? We have the rule of being resilient and then idealistic. Yeah.
0: uh, You know, we we go back to this. What if the founders of our country had had just had the goal of beating the British, right? That's once they'd won— Hey, remember those glory yeah. days when we were fighting the British and we took them out, and that was awesome. The the just cause, and again, according to Hamilton, I learned they rapped about this: "Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness." Right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. No, no nobody, no, not getting any applause. So, so you know. And and we're still pursuing this. And while we're so much closer, it really hasn't been realized yet. Yeah. Not, not for everybody. But again, we're, we're doing so much better. And and they established that just cause, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution. They established the beginnings of something that was going to be so great. At the time, yeah, it had a lot yeah. of you know struggles in getting there, much like starting this organization. So no matter how much we've achieved, we always feel we have further to go. And and let me just add a couple other thoughts on, on just causes, and I, and I get these from the book and and just some of my own thoughts too. Number one, I think it's really effective to memorialize your just cause. Now, it can't just be memorialized. We know mm-hmm. lots of organizations that have their whys on the wall, and it doesn't mean anything, right? But it helps to memorialize it. Make it something real that you can refer to. Um, the second thing I want to point out is a just cause is different from a BHAG. It's different from a big, hairy, audacious goal. A big, hairy, audacious goal can be achieved. You can check that box. The just cause continues on, so don't confuse the two. Third, a a just cause can't just be becoming the best at something. We're going to be the best at delivering care. Well, why? Don't we want them to be great, too? Just You can be better than yourself. And you can improve, and you can progress, those can be just causes, but to be the best, that can't be a just cause and And I'd throw in there uh, I had this conversation with a cluster recently that had the goal just uh, I mean, they're going to know who they are when I say this, but it was just grow, baby and and growth
1: is not a cause there's It's not a cause just to grow mm-hmm. i just I just want to grow well, why? Why are you growing? What well, I've heard you say before, I mean even within this organization we've never set a revenue goal or we've never set I mean it's not necessarily just for growth. Yeah, it's
0: not when the market asks for what are your growth goals for this year? We say we say zero. We don't when we mm-hmm. find great people, we will grow, but the yes. goal is not growth, making the world better is the just cause. That's what we're trying to do. And and I, I let me just throw in one more. It, it's a just cause is also not a, a organizational social program. We can't say our just cause is the emergency fund. The emergency fund, uh, you know, it's it's something that we're able to do. But the just cause is dignifying long term care in the eyes of the world, and we need to make sure that we're not confusing
1: those. So. <sighs> How do I go about then operationalizing this? If I'm if I'm a leader, I'm in a facility or I'm a partner and I'm like, what do I do, I guess, with this? And what does this really mean for me?
0: You've heard me in the past say, as leaders, we need, we all need to be CROs. Mm-hmm. Remember what that means? Yeah. Chief reminding Chief officers. Reminder. I'll just remind you. Thank you. Uh, Bada bing. Uh, but we, we also need to be, Connor, did you think that was funny? I heard a little laughter something. out of Connor <laughs> over there. Uh, we also need to be CVOs chief vision officers, right? Everyone that works with you should be incredibly clear on the just cause that you are working for. And they'll want to join you. You'll have a lot. If you are really good at establishing this vision, the nursing shortage won't affect you. Like if you're really good, you will have a line out the door of nurses saying, this is why I got into nursing. This is what I want to be Mm -hmm. a part of. You know, the average life of a business is now – Mark Parkinson talked about this. I think it was at our 20th anniversary, and he, he said it's under like 20 years now. They haven't been built to last. They've been built to cash out of, the exit strategy, right? Like my partner told me, Yeah, business is all about an exit strategy. Henry Ford once said, he, uh, and I quote, he says, a business that makes nothing but money is a poor kind of business. So ultimately every company – should be good at advancing a purpose, protecting its people and generating a profit, but in that order, right I'm going to say that again advancing a purpose first, protecting its people second and generating a profit third. all three are very necessary, mm-hmm. but what does the focus need to be on? I you know honestly, what's my advice to you outside of that about you know living, breathing that vision constantly I'd say act like an owner, not a renter. think in the long term. Don't become too obsessed with these short-term gains, which there's pressure to obtain those short-term gains. Simon Sinek says, without a sense of purpose, no company can achieve its full potential. It will ultimately lose the license to operate from key stakeholders. It will succumb to short-term pressures to distribute earnings and in the process, sacrifice investments in employee development, innovation, and capital expenditures that are necessary for long-term growth, right? Think about that. If we're just focused on, you know, just showing the score and doing this and, okay, we we did well this month, but you're not developing employees and you're not creating leaders, you have the finite mindset and not the infinite
1: mindset. So I know he says this in the book, uh, but it kind of helps me to understand better why he talks about the two currencies that every organization has. Yeah. He talks about that there's – within an organization, we have resources, which are tangible and measured. Yeah, you've and got then, cash, you've got equipment, you've got all those things that are very necessary. And then he says that there's then will, and that's really then that feelings that people have when they come to work.
0: And think about how much time you spend as a leader on each of those things. The finite-minded leader is obsessed with the resources, and 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 we need to be – we're stewards of these resources. That does matter. It's, it's interesting, though – he says cynic says um how will the hearts of your people mm-hmm. how that can be built and, and and one example he uses really captured my attention he said when a, when a group shares in the suffering it actually brings a team together now you've heard me in past podcasts say you can't expect people to feel the joy of ownership if you don't allow them to feel the pressure of ownership if we protect them from that, if we're not sharing financial results and, and brutal facts and other things like that, and we're just trying to protect them and keep them in ignorant bliss, they'll
1: never be owners. Well, I think it's easy to fall into that sometimes. I mean, if we we sit there and we I want to celebrate with my team, but yet when it's going bad, we're kind of – we hide. We and-
0: hide that stuff.
1: But they don't feel the
0: celebration if they didn't yeah. feel the pressure, right? If census is down, is everyone affected or just a few? Think about it in both ways, like is, is, you know, you're cutting staffing on on CNAs and housekeepers to to staff, you know, correctly to the census. Does anybody else feel the pain? Do the department uh, heads feel the pain, right? Uh, When COVID hit, we had board members that were offering to go without pay. Rather than just making a few suffer completely, having everyone suffer together builds psychological ownership. Um, And he uses this. He says, in one case uh, where employees suffered together, and and this is a quote, employees also reached out to vendors to ask if they could find ways to save the company money because the desire to contribute came from the people themselves. The outcome was quite different. Morale was high. People were excited to find ways to help. Most important, everyone felt like they were in it together. Can you see how that builds Mm -hmm. that morale even in tough times?
1: I think it also allows people to start to sacrifice in the short term because they know what that long-term gain is yeah. if you start to share that ownership and you're not going to do
0: that through incentive plans you 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 again incentives have to be satisfiers not drivers you accomplish this through causes uh, if the incentive plans are the driver and not the satisfier, then you're going to have a company of mercenaries. Think about what a mercenary is, right? If the just cause is the driver, you're going to have zealots. A mercenary does thing. Mm-hmm. Well, what are you going to give me if I – yeah, I'll give you more of my effort. What are you going to yeah, give me for yeah, more of my effort? 30%. A zealot is saying, how else can I help? What else can I do? Because I really want to be a part of this. And this is a quote from the book again. Mercenaries work hard only so long as we keep paying top dollar for their efforts. Zealots love being a part of the organization. Though they may get rich doing what they're doing, they aren't doing it to get rich. They're doing it because they believe in the just cause. And, And you'll find even employees that put the just cause before themselves mm-hmm. hey what do i need to do do i need to take some time off yes this is a this will hurt me but i want to help that just cause and i'll i'll finish this with with his quote he says when hard times strike and hard times always strike in companies with a bias for will I throw in on my own Mm -hmm. over resources, right? The people are much more likely to rally together to protect each other, the company, the resources, and their leaders, not because they're told to,
1: but because they choose to. We have their hearts. Yeah. Okay, so there's one – there's another thing I, th- I think we need to dig into, and you mentioned it a bit earlier at the very – it was actually at the starting. You you talked about um, yeah. this caring over competition, and I think this is important to kind of talk about and, and define the meaning because I, I do think we have a lot of really successful clusters who they use competition. There's a lot of competition. Um, and so can you help us walk through that so a little I, bit?
0: I talked to a uh, – market recently that has a competition of best-looking facility and, and the winner gets some prize. And I said, so what happens if I'm a cluster partner and I walk into your facility and I see an old piece of equipment in the entryway? Do I not share that with you because it hurts my chances mm-hmm. of winning? This is the concept of carrying over competition. Uh, I'm going to take uh, Simon's words uh, here because, you know, again, I'm I'm not sure how some people are going to respond to this thought. He says, he says, pitting their people against each other might seem like a good idea to finite-minded leaders, but it's only good for now. It can lead to behaviors that actually undermine trust, things like hoarding information instead of sharing it, stealing credit instead of giving it. So so creating this infinite mindset of carrying over competition, it's not easy because we're sort of hardwired to protect ourselves. I, I've got to protect myself, and if that means hurting you, then, then I need to do that. They don't want to miss out on the promotions or get in trouble or be mocked. You have to find a way of creating pressure uh, uh, th- to take care of each other to achieve that just cause. Mm-hmm. Our clusters try to do this, right? There's incentivized pressure in caring for each other. Um, but, I, but I'd say the best way to do that is is to make your people feel psychologically safe right? Comfortable with each other. No, si- Simon says, Simon says, Cynic says, that sounds better. <laughs> in weak cultures, people find safety in the rules. In strong cultures, people find safety in the relationships. As a leader, it's your job to, to, uh, enhance those relationships.
1: Well, there's kind of two principles I think go along with that is where he talks about that the concept of having trusting teams, having those teams where we do feel like that we can show up and be, be vulnerable and be who we truly are and, yeah. and admit when we aren't succeeding or aren't, aren't reaching our goals the way that we intended to. And then he also says that the importance of still having a worthy rival. And I think yeah. that piece of the worthy rival is is, is key because I, I think the practice that we have of pulling up financials and looking and seeing, it, well, where are we at on the financials? Where are we on the comparison graphs? that's still important that we have that rival but yeah. is the intent necessary to beat them or to then become the best that we possibly can so i do think that the mix between that trusting side and then the word worthy rival as well yeah, I, I mean, it still falls in my
0: my age range i think of a magic johnson and a larry bird right i mean just the two of the best in the league at the time before michael jordan came and and uh and and but they were friends mm-hmm. you yeah. know but boy they fought against each other there was a battle yeah
1: So then let's uh, finish with the topic that I hear uh, you actually talk about a lot and uh, other leaders will talk about, and it's the one of this leader versus an authority. Yeah. How would you differentiate those two?
0: So you can probably easily answer which one you are by answering the following question. And this, this question pinches a little bit. Do your people follow you because they're required to or because they're inspired to? Do your people do what they're supposed to do because you require it of them? or because you've inspired them to do it, right? Leaders inspire, authorities, managers, they require. We follow leaders because we want to, we follow authorities because we have to. Why do your people follow you? Because they have to, you determine what they're paid, or because they want to. Mm -hmm. They're anxious for your guidance. Uh, To quote Sinek again, he says, "I, I know many people who sit at the highest levels of organizations who are not leaders. They may hold rank, and we may do as they tell us because they have authority over us, but that does not mean we trust them or that we would follow them. There are others who may hold no formal rank or authority, but they have taken the risk to take care of their people. They are able to create a space in which we can be ourselves and feel safe sharing what's on our mind. We willingly go the extra mile for them because we want to. Right? I've asked the question a lot. What uh what, what title did Gandhi hold? One of the greatest leaders in the history mm. of the world. What title did he hold? What authority did he? He had none. Yeah. But he's considered one of the greatest leaders in the world. And and then you know he goes on to say, and and we'll we'll talk a lot more about this at the annual meeting too. But he says leaders are not responsible for the results; leaders are responsible for the people who are responsible for the results. It's a mind shift.
1: Yeah, I'm realizing as as we talk through this today that I guess how hard and how rare it is really to have leaders that do have that infinite mindset, and especially when you when you think of an organization of this size, and and um, to, how do we maintain that infinite mindset, yeah. and it. I feel like it, it does really take a lot of courage for a leader to choose to say, I'm going to have the infinite mindset. I'm not going to just look to win or lose, but I'm going to move this cause forward. It's
0: very, it's very rare in the world. It's why people are so cynical towards business. It's become heartless. Mm-hmm. It's become transactional. And it does take courage as a leader to, to step out. It's, it's why we did the podcast a few episodes ago on on courage. Courage is calling. I think courage, unfortunately, in leaders is is very rare. Um, it takes courage to look to the long term to make the right decisions instead of just the short term. Mm-hmm. It takes courage to stick to a just cause and not have people say, oh, OK, but really we need to make money. It takes courage to lead through trusting your people and to do the right thing because it is the right thing and not because we're forced to do it. Right. When, when you lose those things, you have to start to require things and you just become more corporate your success will be the results of your people who are inspired by a just cause and not by the greatness of you as a leader. If you've inspired them and not required them, if you've if you've led them and not managed them, um, I, you know, I'll, I'll finish with a quote from Sinek. And he says, uh, playing the infinite game is not a checklist. It's a mindset. We've got to switch this mindset. We've got to get exit strategies out of our minds. How am I going to cash out instead? How am I going to leave this organization better than I ever found it and thriving well into the future?
1: Love that you end on that mindset piece because it. Again, the mindset, that's thats our choice. We get to choose to change and shift our own mindset. So. Yeah, so choose to do yeah. it now. So thank hey,
0: you, Clay. Go take an ice bath. Awesome.
1: <laughs> Gosh. <laughs>